Brilliant. I'd love you to watch a short video. Uh, it's called Easter According to the Kids. <laughs> After Jesus died, they put Jesus in a tomb and wrapped him with some white paper. They put a big stone around it and placed guards in front of the tomb to let nobody go in. He was just waiting for the three days. He's probably drinking soda while eating hot Tito's. <laughs> he would probably play games like Candyland and then have a party by himself. The okay. Easter Bunny was hiding behind a tree. <laughs> he probably went out there and just throw eggs everywhere, and then he's gonna say, there's one money egg, so you better find it. You don't get some money. Three days later, there was a big earthquake. <laughs> I think we should go away somewhere safe. He's like, I'm getting out of here. Shaking, run for your lives! <laughs> and the guards ran off because they got scared. And then on Sunday, Mary and some of her friends came with some spices. But when they got there, the tomb was empty. His clothes only was there. Then an angel came and said, Don't be afraid. Jesus has risen from the dead. Go tell the go tell. Everyone, go tell the good news. Mary and her friends went and told the disciples. She said, Jesus has risen from the dead. Guys, guys, Jesus has risen from the dead. And the disciples didn't believe them. No, that couldn't happen. Jesus can't raise from the dead. Uh, I don't believe it until I see it. But all of a sudden, Jesus, Jesus just came, just was there. I am Jesus. I am the, I'm the, I am the Son of the Lord God, and I am Jesus, your friend. And then the disciples said, Jesus, it's you! Yay! Jesus is alive! Totes cool. Jesus, before he left to heaven, he said, I have done what I have came to done. And then he risen, then he was going up to heaven. His disciples were crowded around him. The disciples said, holy guacamole. I can't believe Jesus really flew. That's awesome. Now what? Let's go tell the news. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you like that. I'm glad you like that. Um, now then, if you've got a shaker, I'd like you to put it under your chair so that it uh, doesn't make a noise, just for the next uh, three or four minutes. And I'm just going to share a couple of things with you. And then, as Joe said, today is a really special day. About, it's our baptism service. And this morning, in a few minutes, you're going to hear from each of the people who's going to be baptised, and they're going to share their story. Um, and then, by the way, if you're just visiting today... Uh, if, this is your first, if you just thought you'd come along to church and you didn't know this, we're actually going down to the water meadows to do this baptism. Normally we do them here, but we decided as it was going to be such a beautiful day and we wanted to get out and have an egg hunt and a picnic that we would go and baptise, do our baptism service in the river. So that's what we're going to be doing in about an hour. Okay, so, but just before that, briefly, um, we've been doing with the grown-ups, we've been doing a, a series called The Symbols of Christ leading up to Easter. And Joe talked about the special meal 
that Jesus and his disciples had. And even if you weren't here, if you're one of the children, if you've been upstairs then, uh, or, or out the back, if you've been doing um, different stuff, you can be doing this. Can you move it on for me, please? I'm sorry, that's not working. Um, no, one, one back, sorry. Okay, that's not working either. Never mind. Um, just, just follow me with it, whatever you can. Um, Jesus, so Joe talks about the symbolism of the last meal that Jesus shared, uh, the bread and the wine, and how he instructed us to um, remember what he'd done on the cross. And then last week, Amy talked about the cross and talked about Jesus' death on the cross. And of course, we've been thinking about that all week. And that's what we're celebrated. That's what we thought about and remembered on Good Friday. And as Amy said last week, just go back one, these pictures are really nice pictures. You know, we look at a cross now and we think, oh, that's a nice symbol. But actually, what they don't convey is anything of the brutality of what being crucified actually was. And this picture of Jesus on the cross is... To, to be honest, a pretty sanitised version as well, but I didn't think we could put anything worse up this morning because we've got younger members here. But crucifixion was about the worst way that you could ever die. It was, a, it was dreamed up by people who wanted the people who were being put to death to suffer, properly suffer. It wasn't quick, it wasn't painless, it took all day and it was dehumanizing, and Jesus' death on the cross took place in a rubbish dump outside of the city. And um, even the Roman historian Cicero said this about crucifixion. He said, to bind up a Roman citizen is a crime. Can you put the, have you got the quote for me? To bind up the Roman, I'm sorry, guys, those are out of order. The Cicero slide, please. To bind up a citizen is a crime. To flog him is an abomination. And to kill him is almost an act of murder. But then to crucify him, he sort of goes even further than that. In Roman society, they crucified literally the lowest of the lowest of the low. That wasn't a death that was even for Roman citizens. It was for the worst kind of criminals. And then, you know, it's funny because that's what the Romans thought. But in Deuteronomy, and if you could put the slide up with a Deuteronomy quote for me. In Deuteronomy, even the Jews thought that to hang someone on a tree would mean that they were cursed by God. It says in Deuteronomy, if a man's been committed a crime, punished by death, and he's put to death, and you hang him on a tree, their law said his body shall not remain there all night, but you bury him the same day, which is what they did with Jesus, for a hanged man is cursed by God. The Jewish law dictated that Jesus' body should be buried on the same day that he died, Good Friday, because no one wanted to see this shameful thing of a man cursed by God hanging on a tree. And so depending on whether you were Jewish or you were Roman, Jesus was either cursed by God or the lowest form of common criminal. Either way, it's pretty bad. And yet, as we know, Jesus was innocent of this crime and went through all of this, not because of anything that he'd done. Can you put the next slide up with the um, Galatians quote on, please? Um, not because of anything he'd done, but because as Paul teaches in Galatians, because of something that we have done. Jesus became cursed in place of us. He took the punishment that we deserve. We're the ones who should have been cursed, and yet Jesus was instead. And that's the message of the gospel that we celebrate on Easter. And Amy was reminding us about that last week when we talked about the cross. And today is Easter Sunday, and we're thinking about that last symbol. So the meal, the cross. What was the third one I said? Can anyone remember? The, the grave. And a grave, you know, if you look at a grave nowadays, a grave looks different from how it looked in Jesus' time. 
When someone dies and we put them in a grave, it looks a bit like that. We put them in a box, we have ceremony, we have flowers, we lower them into the ground. But in Jesus' day, it was very different. They just took his body down off the cross, there's a picture of that, and they wrapped it in a cloth, and they went and found a cave, and they put it in the cave, and they rolled a big stone over the front of the cave. And that's what they did on Good Friday. And you can leave that one up for a while now for me, please. That's what they did on Good Friday. The Saturday was Sabbath, so nothing happened. And then Easter Sunday morning happened. Well, they didn't call it Easter Sunday back then. It was just Sunday, okay? We call it Easter Sunday now. Or perhaps I prefer the name Resurrection Sunday. And what's going to happen is I'm going to read you just a few verses from Mark chapter 16. If you've got it, you can follow, but you don't have to. Because I'm going to see who is listening. And I'm talking to the, perhaps the younger ones among us, but I'm actually talking to everybody. Because I'm actually going to ask you some questions. After I've read you a few verses, I'm going to ask you a question, see who is listening. Okay? And see if you can answer the question. So this is Mark chapter 16 and verse 1. When the Sabbath was over... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Pause there. First question, see who's listening. What day of the week was it? Put your hand up if you think you know. Go, go for it. Sunday, thank you. Excellent, well done. It was Sunday. Second question. How many people were going to the tomb? Put your hand up if you think you know the answer. Somebody back there, yes. Shout it out. Three, thank you. What were their names? Give me one of their names. Yes. Mary Magdalene, another one? Over there. Salome, good. And there was a third one. Down here, come on. Excellent. The other Mary. Two of them were called Mary and the other one was Salome. Very good. What were they going to do? What were they going to do, Daniel? They were going to anoint spices on Jesus' body. Is it me or does that feel like a weird thing for you to do? It's something that they used to do in their culture. Is that they used to go to when somebody was died and they used to rub spices on the body, okay? What did those women expect to see when they got to the tomb? What did they expect to see? Not what they, not what they did see. What would they be, have been expecting to see? There's some really good answers here. Come on, go for it, yes. Say again. Jesus' dead body. Very good, but something before that. They wouldn't have seen Jesus. I don't think they were expecting to see Jesus' dead body because something else. Yes, come on, mate, you're going to burst. Come on. Right. Well, when they got there, the stone had been rolled over. But when they were on the way there, do you think that they were expecting that the stone would have been rolled over? No. They were expecting that the stone was... The tomb was closed up. Yes? Yes, good. They were probably thinking, how are we going to roll that stone away? Because inside that tomb is what you said, which is Jesus' dead body. He's dead. By the way, does anybody know why they made the stones round like that? It's not in the Bible. It's just a little science question I was pondering on. Anybody else? 
Go for it. Shout it out. Thank you, to roll it. Yes, very good. The stones were. They were thinking, I don't know, maybe there'll be some soldiers there who can roll back the stone. That's verse three. Excellent answers. Let me read you verse four and five. Listen carefully, and then I'm going to ask you some more questions. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. I don't think that means that they set off their burglar alarm. I think it means they were concerned. Question one. This is a really difficult one and there's no clue behind me. What had happened to the stone? Come on, you can all, somebody can shout that out for me. It had been rolled away, thank you. Okay, so we know that bit. Question two. What did they see in the cave? Yeah, I've got the same people. Is there anybody else who wants that? Yes, my darling. Come on, shout it out. They saw an angel. Well, it, they saw a man, and it turns out it might have been an angel. Yes, they saw a man. How did they know he was an angel? All right, mate, come on. No, it doesn't say that in the Bible. <coughs> he might have done your right, but it doesn't say that in the story. Yes, matey. Fantastic, well done, good listening. He was dressed in a white robe. What do you think, now this is a question, you've got to think about this one. What did you think that they thought had happened to Jesus' body? What do you think's happened? Oh, come on Chris, say that again. They thought it had been stolen. Maybe it had, why would somebody steal Jesus' body? There's a question, why would somebody want to steal it? Why would somebody want to, yes. To get rid of it, why would they want to get rid of it? Yes, Daniel. They would have, what, sorry? They probably didn't like it, the fabric was worth something. The fabric was worth something. Yeah, I'm, I love, I love your business brain that's going on there. There's a little bit of entrepreneurial spirit going on there. Okay. Last question. I think that they might have stolen the body because I think that somebody might have tried to suggest that Jesus was coming back to life. I don't know if that's true. I don't know what they expected, to be honest. But it does say that they were alarmed. Let me read you the last couple of verses for this morning. You're doing really well, by the way, at listening very carefully. Listen. Don't be alarmed, the man said. You are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples, tell Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. Right, last couple of questions. You've done brilliantly with this. What did the man or angel inside the tomb tell the ladies? What did he tell them? What did he tell them had happened? Yes, Annabelle, shout. Say again. Don't be afraid. Thank you. Excellent. What else? What else? Yes, mate. Go for it again. You've got a big, loud voice. Shout up. Jesus has risen. Good. And you should go and meet him in Galilee. Brilliant. Anything else? Anything that we've missed? Yes. Seth, where's Seth? Come on. 
Go and tell people. Excellent. Guys, you have fantastic ears. You have listened brilliantly. You see, listen, let me finish what I'm saying. I won't be very long, I promise you. When Jesus died on the cross, he was cursed, he was beaten, he was innocent, he was defeated. It was finished. It probably felt like the end. It was the end for his followers who had expected him to lead a revolution and followed him all the way to Jerusalem. It was the end for the authorities who just didn't want him around because he was awkward and embarrassing. And it was the end for humanity, apparently. Because if this is all that God has to offer and we can just kill him and put him in a grave, then humanity hasn't got much hope, has it? Dead and gone, finished. But the truth is the grave wasn't the end. And that's what we celebrate on Easter. The truth is the grave wasn't the end for Jesus because he was alive. He's beaten death. He has the power. He was stronger. Death has no answer. Sin has no answer. God has won the battle. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it was the ultimate demonstration of God's incredible power to show that sin was beaten, that life is possible, and that healing and love and peace and freedom and restoration can come. This is what God can do. And so these disciples who were so distraught, who were so grief-stricken, who were so upset on the Friday, began to realise towards the end of Sunday and then into the next few days that this is true, that Jesus really has come back from the grave, that he really is the son of God, that his power is still available. And listen, guys, because this is important. Because today, he is still the risen Jesus. That's why our cross is empty. Because although it's a symbol of brutal death and the fact that he suffered on our behalf, He's not dead anymore. And the empty grave shows us that God has the power, the power to bring life and freedom. And you know, guys, we live in tension, don't we? We live in tension between the time when that truth is fully expressed and the broken world that we live in right now. Even today, we're hearing reports of violent attacks in Sri Lanka. We're hearing about churches being bombed on Easter Sunday. And that's horrendous. And it should make us pause and pray and think. People who can't even just come and do what we're doing, you know, worshipping freely together, people who can't even do that because somebody wants to stop them. We're actually going to talk about that whole subject next week. We're going to explore violence in the Old Testament. That'll be fun for us. But that's the now and the not yet that we live in. The tension that we live in is that this is the world we're in, that we have a hope and a future that's not fully realised yet. That's what we believe. We believe the kingdom of God is here and it's breaking in and we believe that there is some part of it that's still got to come. It's real. It's real for our world and it's real for us. And some of us are having a difficult day today for whatever reason. And that's okay. Because Jesus is still with us and the truth is that his power is here. So what is it that you need today? Perhaps you feel like you're in a bit of a grave, metaphorically, not literally. Perhaps there's a situation that we're stuck in, that we can't do anything about, that we feel trapped about. Perhaps there's some part of our life that feels a little bit dead or dying. Maybe it's friendship. Maybe it's a family relationship. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's work or money or emotions. The same power that freed Jesus from the grave can free you 
and me today. It is available. That's what we believe in this church. We pray and we celebrate that every Sunday. And every time we gather together, we pray for one another because we know that the Holy Spirit is here and present. Jesus, there is power to live a renewed life. That's what we're celebrating at Easter. You know, the whole thing about the Easter bunny. It's got nothing to do with the Easter bunny, but eggs are a symbol of new life, and new life is what is available in God because Jesus died on the cross and because he came back from the grave. And that is also what we're celebrating in our baptism service. Perhaps you can just chuck that other slide on for me. You see, baptism is a public celebration of the change that goes on in someone's life when they choose to follow Jesus. And it's very symbolic. It's not just about having a little bath. It's about burying our old life in the water and coming up different, new and clean. It's about showing that we've been forgiven and that Jesus has made us clean, that we're free from sin, that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit and that we're ready to live for God. And that's what we're celebrating in baptism this morning. And I'm delighted that there are five people who are going to come and share their story and then we're going to go down to the river and we're going to baptise them. The baptism service is an important part of somebody's journey. And we can formalise this and we can celebrate it properly and publicly. This is what Jesus invited his followers to do. He instructed them to do that. And we're delighted that there are five people who are going to share with us this morning. And so what's going to happen now is I'm going to invite them each up one at a time and they're going to share their story. Just briefly, a little story about what God's doing in their life and why they're getting baptised today. And then when we've done that, I'm going to ask them to make some vows together. And then we're going to finish here and then we're going to decamp all down to the river where we'll meet up and we'll baptise them in the river. Just to finish, before I do, just put that verse from Romans 6 on, please. Romans, Paul says in Romans, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So in baptism, symbolically what these people are doing is dying as Jesus did and rising as Jesus did. Now, the first person who's going to come up, and I want you to give a massive cheer, is Josh. Where's Josh Pooley? Come on, why don't you come up? Josh. Brilliant. Well done, Josh. Now, Josh is going to get baptised, and he wants me to ask him some questions, because he's a little bit nervous. Pardon? Why don't I do this? Right, why don't you put your notes on there? How's that? Is that okay? Fabulous. Right, Josh, you can hold that one. Okay, is that working? Just test it. Yeah, hello. Yes, it's working, great. Okay, Josh, just tell us something about your background. So I grew up in a Christian household with my mum and my dad, but six years ago they split up and were officially divorced last summer. Okay, and um, what happened next? Um, So after my parents split up, um, I started to pray a lot more and I started to like, notice some of my prayers were answered and then I eventually started to like, trust in Jesus more and more. Wow, okay, that's amazing, isn't it? So tell us, what made you decide to follow Jesus for yourself? So after my parents separated, my mum got OCD and it was a very hard time for me, my mum and my sister. So I thought that if I followed Jesus, he could help us like, through our troubles. Wow, and how did that all happen? How did you feel? So I went to Spring Harvest and I decided that based off what I'd learned there, I felt that giving my life to Jesus was the right thing to do. Wow, 
Amazing. And what difference did it make to you knowing Jesus and how's your life changed since then? So by knowing Jesus, it meant that when, um, wherever I, whenever I'm worried about anything, I can just pray and it's like a lot easier to deal with. Wow. And one, just give us one or two sort of stories about what happened or you know, some prayers that were answered or something like that. Why don't you share that with us? So shortly after my mum got OCD, me and my sister um, prayed that she would get through it and it would go away. And then around two years ago, it got answered the prayer and she's fine now. Wow, isn't that amazing? <laughs> Wonderful. So it takes a lot of guts to stand up here and talk, doesn't it? Okay. Last question. Last, um, what was it, Josh, that made you want to be baptised today? So last year, um, we bought a new house and my mum's starting a new job in September. So I, our life's starting to settle down. So because of this, I felt like I should strengthen my relationship with God as a thanks for his help in my life and to just be close to him moving forward. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? Why don't you give Josh a big round of applause? Thank you. That's brilliant. Wow. That is really powerful. Where is Noah? Is Noah coming up? Where is Noah? Come on, Noah. This is Noah Evans. Come on, Noah. Brilliant. Why don't you put your paper there, and then why don't you... Just, oh, I see, great. Do you, hold, do you want me to hold this for you, or are you going to hold it? Oh. Great, go for it, Noah. Can, hang on, can everyone see you? Just, just, do, just do this. Okay, smile, everybody. Smile for everybody. Okay, go for it. Hello. I would like to start by saying that it's a miracle I'm here today. Before I was born, my parents were told by a doctor that it was dangerous to have another baby. But nine months after that conversation, they had me. They called me Noah because it means peace, comfort, and rest. I was born to a Christian family, and I don't exactly have a story of how I started believing in Jesus, because he was with me since I was born. But I was dedicated to him, traditionally, as a baby. And I do have a story of where God acted in my life. When I was in year two, I got pneumonia and spent quite a long time in hospital. It was one of the most scary experiences in my life, because I was bedridden, super bored. But God helped me get through it and back to my normal self again. Pretty sure that if God didn't exist, then I wouldn't be speaking in front of you today. I feel that God is the only path to life, and responding is important to me. So every day, as most Christians do, I try to live for Jesus. My parents were always reminding me that He only does what's best for me, especially when it doesn't feel like it. I feel like God has been calling me to get baptized for a while, as my faith and love for Him is ever growing. I feel like I'm ready to take a bigger step into my faith and into my love of God this Easter. Thank you for listening and happy Easter. Thank you, Noah. Well done. Amazing. Thank you, Noah. Now, where is um, Tracy? Do you want to come next? Where's Tracy? Come on, Tracy. Give Tracy a warm, a warm round of applause. Now, this is Tracy. Why don't you Hello. share your story with us? Hello. Go for it. Well, the pressure's on after yeah, the kids. <laughs> don't worry. You're fine. It's a good, it's a good audience. It's yeah. a good crowd. They're with you. Okay, go for it. <laughs> um, I was brought up in an Anglican church, christened as a baby, attended Sunday school and church when required, because as a Christian, that's what you did. 
I don't think I paid any great attention to it. I just went, listened to some great stories, sang a few songs, which didn't make sense, and went home. I believed in God, but I can't say I ever felt his presence because I didn't realise you could. He didn't impact my life to any great extent apart from when I gave up cake for Lent and I ended up only going to church at Easter and Christmas and for christenings and weddings. However, when I became a parent, I remembered all the stories I'd learned and I wanted my children to grow up learning about Jesus as I had. So I repeated history, had my children christened and when my son was old enough, I took him to Sunday school each week while I went to church. I listened to the same great stories, sang the same hymns, which still didn't make any sense, and went home. But in my head, I was a Christian, and that was that. I, everything was as it should be, and I was going to be looked after. Then whilst pregnant with my daughter, my marriage started to break down in the most harrowing of circumstances. It's okay. Take your time. It's all right. I ended up staying in the marriage far longer than I should have done. Mm because I thought I was doing the best for the children. But three years after my daughter was born, I managed to find the courage to leave. However, by that stage, myself and the children were completely broken and I gave up on any idea of God. I stopped attending church, I stopped taking my son and I convinced myself that while I could withstand what I had gone through, I simply couldn't understand or accept why God had let my children suffer in the way they had and I couldn't forgive him for that. All I'd ever asked was to be happy and for my children to be happy, and he'd let me down. But as a family, we recovered, slowly but together. I was determined never to put the children through anything like that again, so built a very high wall around us and carried on. But I realised I had a pretty big hole inside me. I thought it was because I didn't want to chance being in another relationship and had decided to be on my own, so I told myself I can live with that feeling so long as the kids are okay. Then 16 months ago, all that changed. After nearly five years on my own, determined to be on my own, happy on my own, I inexplicably found myself saying yes to a date with someone introduced by a mutual friend. I can't understand why I said yes. I was fully intending to say no, but I didn't. I spent the afternoon of the day in my kitchen, crying on my mum's shoulder, asking why I was putting myself through this. And then I decided I would just go on one date and say that was that. It wasn't for me, I'd go back to being safe and on my own, but life didn't work out like that. Ian had been a minister, and over a few months we shared our stories. We often have long discussions late into the night about what we'd both gone through, our values, our beliefs, and how we could reconcile one thing with another. I saw how steadfast he was in his faith, and how it gave him strength and peace during difficult times. He never once tried to influence me, but gave me the room to breathe and think and come to my own conclusions. And finally, it dawned on me what the whole was. It wasn't a relationship with another person. It was a relationship with God. But I had a long way to go. I still wasn't sure how to have a relationship with him again, so I started slowly. Not ready to go back to church, I spoke to an old friend, found an app, and thought I'd do it on my own. But by March last year, I was ready to take the next step and I asked Ian if I could come to Winchester Vineyards with him. It was a bit of a shock at first, having only been to a traditional Anglican church service, but I loved it. And it's in this setting I found my faith again slowly. But I was still unsure as to what feeling God's presence meant or felt. But in September, over several weeks, Nigel had been talking about having a relationship with God and how it was a two-way relationship. 
You can't just keep asking from God and giving nothing in return. Over the weeks, it started to click into place in my head and I realised that for years, I'd expected God to be there for me. I'd prayed in a very selfish way, asking for help or things to happen, but didn't give thanks for what I had and I didn't know how I could honour him. I really hadn't been prepared to do my part other than turn up to church on a Sunday. Then on the 7th of October, I had the most amazing experience. Ian and I usually hide at the back, but Nigel encouraged everyone to move forward and we did. Joe gave a sermon on consecrating yourself and despite there being about 200 people around me, it felt like I was the only person in the room. Every single word Joe spoke completely resonated with me and it felt like she was just speaking to me. I don't know if it was because I was sat at the front or the words Joe spoke, but I felt a spiritual connection I'd never felt before, a tingling and a tearfulness I couldn't explain. And it was in that moment I finally understood what feeling God's presence was. I've joked it didn't feel like I was knocking at the door and being welcomed in, but more like God was standing behind me, giving me a good shove, saying, finally, what took you so long? Whatever happens in my life, I know I have God's love and protection and that's enough. I'm happy and content and no longer have that hole inside me. I'm old enough to know that things in life aren't always easy, but I know God will never let me down, will never give up on me, and that his love is constant and limitless and beautiful. And that's why I wanted to get baptised, to make a public declaration of my commitment to him. I've made peace with what happened to my family. It wasn't because God has allowed it to happen, but because of simple human intervention by someone who has taken the wrong path in life. In fact, I now believe everything happens for a reason, to get us in the right place at the right time for us to reach our true potential. I'm a work in progress, but with God's guidance, I'm fully embracing it. I came across a verse in the Bible last year, which I wish I had known many years ago, and I just wanted to share it with you. It was from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Thank you. Thanks, Tracy. Wow. Well done. Thank you. Right, um, where's David? David, you come. We've got two more. Come on, come up. This is David. Give him a welcome. share your story with us. Go for it. Thanks very much. I need to take my glasses off so that would mean that you can see me but I can't see you. <laughs> so, uh, I have something prepared so I will read it out. So uh, first of all um, I'd like to introduce myself. Um, I'm quite new to the church here. Um, I started coming in February uh, this year uh, just after myself and my wife uh, started on the Love After Marriage course. I must admit that the idea of an adult baptism is something that I have deferred for a number of years and quietly hoped to myself that it was something I didn't have to do. To put things into context, I have very much been under the wing of the Church of England. I was baptised as an infant, made a commitment over 30 years ago to follow Christ and went through adult confirmation shortly after. I felt at that time in the late 80s that I'd come and done that all I needed to do to show my faith publicly. I am actually a very introvert, introverted person, so why would I want to publicly stand up in front of a crowd at church 
and uh, do it all over again. Surely I'd done enough, I felt at that time. In the mid-90s, I got married to my wife, Emma, who was also Christian. And whilst I was the shy and retiring Anglican, my wife was an extrovert Pentecostal who had been through (coughs) being baptised as an adult. So so we were on quite a broad spectrum. (laughs) When we moved to Southampton some 17 years ago, we agreed to attend a local Anglican church as a compromise. But in more recent years, we began to feel that the Anglican movement had become very much more secularised and an incident at our former church challenged us spiritually to the point that it created division between us. Division between us regarding how and where we wanted to worship. We sought to try and resolve the issue with church leadership, but we revised to alternate worshipping between two churches, my old church and the church that my wife wanted to go to, which was a new one, as a compromise uh, for the situation. But frankly, this made matters much worse. The issue continued to divide us personally, so we eventually enrolled and participated on the Love After Marriage course run here at uh, Winchester Vineyard, which has really allowed us to heal the rift. Over the course of the last two to three months, the issue of my baptism has continually cropped up. God has been prodding me regularly. It has cropped up on the Lamb course and then in a couple of sermons here at the church over the last few weeks. Once I have publicly made a commitment uh, by confirmation some 30 years ago, I reluctantly had to acknowledge that God was requiring this act of obedience of me. I really, want, didn't, I really don't want to do this publicly but I know it's what God is asking of me and I have to do it and that through this further healing and closure will come. Thank you, David. You know, that's just real and honest and we we, we, thank you for that. You know, we respect you and we stand with you. So bless you, mate. And last but not least, in any way, Sarah, where's Sarah? Sarah, come on, come and share. Welcome, Sarah. Hello everyone. So like David, I deferred adult baptism for a while, being an introvert, um, but it's great to be here. I grew up in Winvin from the age of about five to 19, um, and the idea of a baptism in the River Itchen was a lot more appealing than a basement birthing pool at my London church, so that's why I'm here. I'm really blessed to have grown up in a Christian family with parents and grandparents who have prayed for me and supported me in my faith who are here today. I became a Christian when I was about five or six years old after a win win, a win then meeting um, and I knew that I wanted Jesus to be my best friend forever. I was so certain of his love for me and that I was his child and adopted into his family. Um, My faith has been put to the test in more recent years. I spent time in South Africa about 10 years ago and witnessed God's amazing power and love in a new way, like you often do when you're in a different context. I was pushed to trust God in a really real way, which has had a huge impact on my prayer life and reminded me of how close God wants to be to each of us. Um, Jesus' voice has encouraged me and strengthened me to walk with him when I felt lost and confused and uncertain. During a difficult time, a few years back, I received this verse from 
which was an encouragement from someone here at this church. Um, and it also happens to be my London church's favorite verse. They talk about it all the time. And it's Psalm 118, verse 5. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord, and he brought me into a spacious place. This affirmed for me that no matter what the circumstances are around me, I can be sure of his love and promises for me, and that they will bring me into a wide-open space. I see baptism as my declaration of faith in Jesus in front of you all to witness. I am so thankful for all God has done for me and know that his plans for my future are good. I see this moment as shaking off and leaving any heaviness from the past and embracing the good that God is doing in my life now. And I just want to read this verse to you all. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the Lord, love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you so much. Wow. So there, there you have it. Five different people, five different stories, and all of them going to make a public declaration of their faith today, which is really exciting. And so the last thing we're going to do before we pause here and head down to the Water Meadows is I'm going to invite all of those five of you to come back and just to do these vows. And if you can come up and stand around here, I'd be grateful. And um, the questions are going to come up on the, on the screen as well. But, um, and so this is, this is just important. Um, vows are just, come up guys, come up. Come and stand around here in a sort of semicircle. Here, the, the words are on here. So um, it's just important at this point, uh, you know, obviously it's a bit like, a, I say it's a bit like a wedding. You say some special words that you remember on the day and that's what these are. Um, and so the first question, can you put the first question up for me, Pete? And the first question is this, and I'm going to ask it and then you guys all together, I just want you to read back nice and big, nice big loud voices, uh, what's written on there. Okay, so the question is, and if everyone else can just be really quiet, kids, by the way, you've been brilliant You've sat fantastically quietly and really well, and we're almost done, I promise you. Okay? So, guys, um, do you turn your back on evil and repent of your sin? Go for it. Bit louder next time. Okay? Second question Do you look to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Wonderful. And the last one And do you choose to follow him today and for the rest of your life? Well done. Thank you. Let's give them all a massive round of applause. Awesome. So, in a second I'm going to pray and then we are done here and we're going to head down to the Water Meadows. We would love you to join us if you can. Um, there really isn't very much parking down there at all because they're doing some work on the thing. If you need to get a bit closer, you can park at the far end of the park and ride car park or you can just walk from here. And I suggest that we meet about, now I'm going to say about, it takes about 10 minutes to walk. Just let's give ourselves time to get set up and get down there. Let's, let's say about quarter past 12 that we will meet by the river there. There is a tent going up down there for the people who are getting baptized to get changed in. Bring your picnic with you if you're staying. There'll be a, as soon as we finish with the baptisms, 
there'll be an egg hunt, and then there'll be games and just hanging out for the rest of the day. So actually, what would really help is if we could leave this place as tidy as possible quickly. So if you've got shakers, you can't come back here afterwards. It won't be open again afterwards. So take all your stuff with you. If you've got shakers or guitars, perhaps leave them down the front. If you've got cups, perhaps take them to the back and um, don't forget your stuff. And we will see you down at the Water Meadows about quarter past 12. God bless. Thanks. <laughs>